So we're studying in the book of Genesis. And so in the book of Genesis, we're studying about a guy named Noah. The book of Genesis about Noah. So before we study Genesis, we're going to look at a couple other verses. Is the book of Genesis correct? Does God ever refer to the book of Genesis and the story of Noah and other places in the Bible? Does God put his stamp of approval upon what was recorded in the Old Testament, especially the book of Genesis and especially the story of Noah? Well, it does. And I want you to look at this because, see, if if the Old Testament isn't true, then the New Testament can't be true because the New Testament says things about the Old Testament. And so either it's all true or it's all false. So which one will it be? So I want you to look in your Bible to the book of 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. This is just to establish the fact that the Bible teaches there was a flood. There was a flood. And you'll notice that the flood is talked about in the same story of the cross. What Christ did, the greatest thing Christ ever did on the cross is also recorded about the flood. So you look in verse 18. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sin. Now the reason he only did it once is because man only dies once. So if man only dies once, how many times would Christ have to die for me? One time. So he came and died one time to pay for my sins. So he says in verse 18, For Christ also hath, that's past tense, already done, once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. Now I wonder who is the just and who is the unjust. Am I the just? No. I am unjust. And Christ, the just, he didn't have a reason to die, except that he loved us. So he died for the unjust. So he died to pay for our sins. He didn't have any sins. Now notice the rest of it. Why did he go to the cross? Why did he die? Why did he do all of this? Look what it says. That he might bring us to God. There's no other way to get to God. If Christ had not did what he did, no man could ever get to God. If you can't get to God, you can't get to heaven. Isn't that clear? I mean, it's right here. So simple, laid out. And then he says, he was put to death in the flesh, but he was quickened. And the word quickened means to be made alive. It means he was resurrected by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit quickened his physical body and raised him from the dead. And then he says, there's a, another story he wants you to get here. See there in verse 19. By which also, the Spirit, he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Now, I believe these are those people that are already believed on the Lord before the cross, and they were captive 
It means that their sins had not yet been paid for, but they believed that they were going to be. So they were there like on a layaway plan, on credit, until the payment was made. So when the payment was made, remember Jesus told the, the thief on the cross, Today shalt thou be with me, where? In paradise, in the heart of the earth. So when he went to the heart of the earth, he was there for three days, and he came out and led captivity captive. He released all these people that were there. Their sins had now paid in full, and they are brought to God. See there from verse 18, that he might bring us to God. So now all those people that believed are no longer in the heart of the earth because Christ came back from the dead. And those people came, and now they're in heaven. And so he makes this statement in verse 20. Which sometimes were disobedient. The word disobedient means unbelieving. There's people that were unbelieving. And he says, when the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. Now, understand, whether or not, and here's the uh, part of a problem. There's those that were in paradise, and the lost were also in a place called hell. Sheol in the Old Testament, Hebrew, but it's the place of torment. And some believe, and it could be, that he talked to, he talked to those people that were there, and they were the unbelievers, and they now know that Jesus Christ and everything he said was the truth. Because the Bible teaches that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Then look what he says in verse 20. Which sometimes were disobedient when once the long-suffering, see that word long-suffering? Long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. That means that God was patient, waited a long time, and many believe that he could have preached for 120 years. And very few trusted the Lord. Or there were some who did, but they died before the flood. And so uh, we don't know. All we know is there were only eight that entered into the ark. And notice what he says in verse 20. We're tying the flood and Noah into a part of the story about Jesus Christ dying on the cross. Now, if one part isn't true, both parts are not true. If Christ did die and pay for our sins so he could bring us to God, then the story about Noah is also true because it's in the same place. And look what he says. While the ark was a preparing. So while it was being prepared, and they believe it could be up to 120 years, the time that God gave them back in the book of Genesis in chapter 6, that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. But he was not a preacher of man's righteousness. He had to be a preacher of God's righteousness. So even in Noah's day, people could have simply believed on the Lord and God would have given to them his righteousness. So all people are saved the same way. Everybody goes to heaven the same way by God giving them his righteousness. And then notice, wherein he says here, few, that is, eight souls were saved by water because of the water. So the ark was in the water and they were saved. Not The water didn't save them, but they were saved through the water. They were in the ark. And then he uses an illustration as the ark and so forth. Because once you and I understand, when Christ died on that cross, 
we were in Christ. When we trusted Christ as our Savior, we were in Christ. And there's safety in Christ. He took our wrath, like the ark took the beating of the, the storm and so forth. But those that were in the ark were safe. We that are in Christ are safe. And the world can't harm us. We're in Christ. And that's why he says that the fight light figure in verse 21, the light figure whereunto baptism does also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. In other words, water baptism will not take away the, you know, your sins, and it doesn't wash the dirt off your neck unless you use soap with it. And it's talking about it's not referring to that. It's not being saved because you were water baptized but because you're in Christ and the resurrection of Christ. So you were in Christ when he died and you were in Christ when he was buried and you were in Christ when he came back from the dead because you and I were crucified with Christ. And that's why he says, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who's now gone into heaven. So the Bible does refer to the story of Noah and the flood. And so it is real. Now look there in second Peter chapter two, second Peter chapter two. And uh, evidently, there were false teachers in Noah's day. False teachers teaching false things and people not believing the truth. And so you have here in 2 Peter chapter 2, that there shall be false teachers in verse 1, among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. And so there are. And there's a lot of people. See in verse 2, many shall follow their pernicious ways. So there's a lot of people who believe the false prophets. But the Lord is telling us there is something you need to understand. There's judgment. And if God did this, and God did this, and God did this, you can count on He's going to do the rest of it. You can always believe what God says. So you look up here in verse 5. God spared not the old world. You think, well, you know, for all those good people, God would have spared the world. Don't they need the world? Well, God destroyed the whole world except those people that were in the ark. And get what he says. And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness. So I didn't make that up. That's in the Bible. So if he was a preacher of righteousness, whose? Man's or God's? Talking about they would get God's righteousness. Because that's what we preach today. Get this, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. And they're all people. All are people. Turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and so forth. So it gets into that. But you know from the scripture, the scriptures refers to the story of Noah. Look there in chapter 3. In chapter 3. Does not the word of God warn us, Jesus Christ is coming again. Does the Bible teach that? Jesus Christ is coming again. Yes, he is coming again. But you look in verse 1. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandments of us, the apostles, of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust. Well, what are these scoffers going to do? They're going to mock and make fun and say, you know, the Lord said he's coming back. Well, where is he? Where is he? Well, in verse 4, 
and saying, where is the promise of his coming? He promised he's coming. Well, where is he? Well, this was written back then. At that time. It's been 2,000 years ago. That's a long time ago. Well, where is he? So he hasn't showed up yet. That means he's not coming. No. So there's people who mock and they make fun. And so then he refers to the second coming of Christ and relates it to the flood again. Back to Noah's time. Because you see, when he talks about the resurrection of Christ and the birth of Christ, he refers to Noah's time because of what it pictures. Now it's referring to Noah's time because of the second coming of Christ. So he says here in the middle part of verse 4, All things continue as they were from the beginning of evolution. Is that what your Bible says? Now if your Bible has evolution, it's wrong. It's creation. So God says from the beginning of creation, he says in verse 5, For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water. So there was land in the water, out of the water, and something happened. I wonder what happened. Verse 6, Whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. So now he's using that to say, look, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. In the days when the long-suffering of God, when God was patient waiting, and 120 years, he said, look, but did the flood come? And uh, were they glad they built a boat? And then the Lord says, come on in the boat. And the Bible says, God shut the door. No, it didn't have to shut. God shut the door. So God knew the timing, and he knew when the flood was going to happen. Do you think God knew the exact day when it was going to rain, when it was going to actually be a flood? So he knew that. And so do you think that God in heaven knows exactly when Jesus is coming back again? Of course. And I believe he'll come right on schedule. He will not be one day late. He won't be one hour late. He will be on time. He will be on schedule. Well, why is God taking so long? Well, why did he take so long back then? Because the Bible says, and the long suffering. It means God was patient and giving people a chance. Because why? He's not willing that any should perish. He doesn't want you to perish. But if people would do right, things could be changed. It could be different. It didn't have to be this way. It's because people are hard-headed and stiff-necked. And we are so rebellious. We are so hard-headed. We want our own way. And we don't like somebody telling us what we can and cannot do. So now notice what he says. In verse 7, But the heavens and the earth, which are now present, by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition or the destruction of ungodly men. So God says, this world is going to be destroyed again. First time was by water, the next time by fire. Do you understand? God is going to set this world on fire and burn it all up. That's what it says he's going to do. So he says in verse 8, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. Because you see up there in the other verse where it says uh, they were ignorant. See in verse 5, 
for this they were willingly are ignorant. You know, there's a lot of ignorant children of God. And so God doesn't want us to be ignorant. So he says, study the word of God and you can know some things. So he says in verse 8, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. In other words, time doesn't seem that long to God. A thousand years to God is a day. So he says in verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. As some men count slackness, but is, get this, long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants every person to change their mind and trust the Lord. But does everybody do that? No, they don't. So there you go. Now let's go all the way back to the book of Genesis. Back to the book of Genesis in chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. So is the flood and Noah mentioned in the New Testament? Yes, it is. And it's referring to the time of his crucifixion, his resurrection. It's also used talking about his second coming. And remember when Jesus was here, he says, As it was in the days of Noah, even so shall it be in the days of the Son of God, the Son of Man. So does he refer to the flood once again and to the days of Noah? Yes. So evidently, God knows what he's talking about. And if he says Noah was a real person and the flood really happened, well, if Jesus says so, then it must be true. So we can believe it. And it wasn't a local flood. Many people say, well, no, it was just a local flood. Just a little local flood. Well, do you believe it was a little local flood? Well, let's just kind of look at it. But look there now in chapter 6. In verse 5 it says, And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Does God know everybody's thoughts? Even if you don't do something, God still knows what you thought of. And then he says in verse 8, And it repented or grieved the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord says, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping things and the fowl of the air. It grieves me, repentant, that I have made man. See, repent doesn't always mean turn from sin. Uh, could God turn from sin? God doesn't have any sin. So repent doesn't always mean turn from your sins, as you'll hear some people say. Because God doesn't sin, so he can't quit sinning. But he can grieve. Does the Holy Spirit grieve when you and I are rebellious as his children? Yes. Now look what he says in verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Grace is righteousness. Grace is how God saves a person. And so God said he was a preacher of righteousness. And so he was a godly man. And he had a wife, three sons, and three wives. There are three wives. So look in verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man. A just man means he was a righteous man. It means he had believed in the Lord. Remember why Christ went to the cross? That he might pay for all the sins of the world. The just for the what? Unjust. So it means that evidently Noah had to believe why Christ came and why Christ died. So even Enoch who was before 
the flood. The Bible says Enoch also preached in the book of Jude that he saw Christ coming with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon the ungodly. So even Enoch was a preacher before the flood. And the Bible says that he had this testimony that he pleased God. And because he pleased God, he was and he was not. But God took him, translated him, that he should not see death. So he is a type like of the rapture of somebody being taken out before the tribulation period upon the earth. So we're going to be taken out of the world. We are and we will be gone in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And then the Bible describes the great tribulation that's coming. And as it was in the days of Noah. See, we're not going to be here during the tribulation period. But now notice, in these verses it says that Noah walked with God. Look at what he says there in verse 12. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them from the earth. So then he tells them to make this great big old ark. And this big old ark was about 450 feet long and about 45 feet wide. So he gave them the dimensions of a pretty good sized ship. And the Bible says this is what he's going to do. So we look in verse 17. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of water upon the earth. God says, I'm going to do this. See, God can stop things, and God can allow things. Remember when Jesus Christ was here? Because he was Lord, he was God, he had authority, power, and he was able to make a fig tree wither. That means he was over the fig tree. And he also could make all the fish come to a certain spot, and he says, cast your net on the other side. And they did. And they caught so many fish that it like to sunk the boat. So he was Lord over that. Uh, he could walk on the water, so he had power over that. He had power over the devil. He had power over the angels, the demons. He had power over the storm. Peace be still. So we're talking about somebody who is, he is the Lord. And he has power that's unlimited. So when the Lord said that he brought a flood, God did it. Well, he can do whatever he wants to do. This is his world. And the Bible says that he has a cattle in a thousand hills. Sometimes I tell God, well, why don't you sell some of those cattle and send me some of that money? But anyway, as we we're moving right along, look in verse 17 again. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh. Wherein is the, and here, breath of life. See, there's a lot of things that God would not have to take on the ark, you know, like whales and fish, and the thing that swims in the ocean, but that had the breath of life. And generally we're talking about things that are on the land, uh, the people, the animals, and so forth. But it doesn't mean that he had to bring all kinds of fish. Now, he may have, and preserve some, but anyway, the reason Noah did not go fishing while he was on the ark, he only had two worms. Thank you, I appreciate that. I only got one laugh out of all of this wisdom here in this Sunday school class. And he says, and everything that is in the earth shall die. 
And so God goes down to it. Now look in verse 22. Thus did Noah, according to, in that little word, all you ought to circle it, because most people serve God half-heartedly. They obey sometimes, but not in every area of their life. Learn to obey God in everything. You see, your attitude, my attitude, is so important with the Lord. God wants us to do things, but do it with the right attitude. Have you ever had kids, and you correct them, and then they got a bad attitude? Or sometimes they obey you, but you know their attitude isn't right. Now, what about you and me? Aren't we a little bit older? We're supposed to be a little bit different. Well, he says, he did all that God commanded him. So he did it. I asked the kids one day. I says, all right, I want you to tell me now. How many of each kind of animals did Moses take into the ark? And the kids will raise their hand. And they'll say, two. And I said, no. Uh-huh. Two. And I said, no. He did. It was two. I said, that was Noah, not Moses. He said, that's a trick question. I know. I know. But sometimes it's just nice to have a little fun, you know. But anyway... He says in verse 1, And God said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark. For thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Not only because of what he believed, but because of what he did. Because the Bible says that he prepared an ark for the saving of his family. He did what God says do. See, up there in verse 22 of chapter 6, he did what God commanded him. Now, look at her also, in verse 3, a fowls also of the air by sevens, the male and the female, to keep seed alive. Why did God take two of all kinds to keep seed alive? So that they can reproduce. You know, evolutionists cannot explain sex, male and female. And one is no good without the other. Now, which came first? I mean, when you start off with the evolutionists, you know, it's a, a one-celled amoeba. And then, lo and behold, it splits up and there's two. And it splits up and there's four. And then eight, 16, 32, 64. And there you go. But now, somewhere along the line, if we did evolve from a one-celled amoeba, we have to discuss the sex life of the amoeba on how to split up and stay happy at the same time. Now, how... Does something without a brain say, you be the male and I'll be the female? How do you determine? And yet we're supposed to believe that no plan, no design, no log, nothing. It's just all chance. That takes more faith to believe in evolution, to believe in creation. Because at least if we say we believe in creation, we believe a God did it. They believe nothing did it. Now, which is easier to believe? Somebody did something or nobody did something?